Welcome to the Envision Rise podcast show, a podcast that helps foster respect through inclusion, service, and equity. This is episode six with founder of Encourage Coaching, Katie O'Malley. Welcome to the Envision Rise podcast. I'm Stacey Hegarty, Global Director of Equity and Inclusion for Envision Rise. Joining us today is Katie O'Malley, the founder of Encourage Coaching. Hi, Katie. Hi, Stacey. It's so good to be here with you today. <laughs> you too. Why don't we start in a very simple way? Tell us about yourself. For sure. I love this question because it's usually the first question folks get in interviews for a new job or with a prospective employer. So always having something that's ready to go and easy to share out. So I'm Katie O'Malley. I currently live in Chicago, Illinois with my partner and two dogs. I founded Encourage Coaching in 2018 and was really looking to make leadership coaching, executive coaching, career coaching accessible to folks that tend to be underrepresented in the C-suite. So women, the LGBT community, the BIPOC community, all the communities that really deserve to be represented and be at the table where decisions are being made. And being on this journey with Encourage has just been wonderful. My background and my master's degree is actually in counseling. And before that, I was a big proponent of testing out a lot of different career paths on my way to being a career executive and leadership coach. But I think a lot of our questions are pointed in that direction. So I don't want to spend too much time digging into that and stealing your thunder, Stacey. (laughs) No problem. So let's go with that. Tell me about your career path. It's very rare for anybody's career path to be a straight line. What was your journey like to get to this point? Yeah, so my journey was anything but a straight line. And I like to tell my story not as a cautionary tale for undergraduate or graduate students or even my clients, but a story that says you're going to be okay. You're going to have a bunch of different careers in your life. The average person has seven different career paths that they may undertake. I'm one of those folks. And for me, I was always very clear about what my values were and this idea of having a career that's rooted in altruism, being of service to others, making the world or at least my corner of the world a better place. So it seems like someone who would know that these are what their core values are would easily see like counseling, coaching, the helping professions. This is where you belong. But for me, it didn't feel like big enough work or impactful enough work to be working with people one-on-one. And so when I graduated from college, I went to Miami University in Ohio. I was a political science major coming out in 2004 to a presidential campaign and was hired to work on one of the 527 committees for John Kerry called the Young Voter Project. And I thought, this is what I wanted to do with my life. I'll make a huge impact working on campaigns, creating big systemic change. And after about seven months of work and the campaign coming to an end and not having any prospects of a new job or health insurance or what I was going to do next, I realized this is not sustainable for me. And so transitioned into the nonprofit sector, again, um, thinking that making a big impact at a systemic level or community level was what would really be fulfilling for me. And so transitioned into nonprofit work, doing fundraising and development. I was at the Innocence Project in New York City for a while, but Chicago is my home. So I came back and was working for the AIDS Foundation of Chicago again, doing fundraising and development, special events. And I felt such a disconnect from the organization's mission and values because I wasn't able to be of service to the communities we serve. 
I was being of service to the folks that was allowing us to do the work that we did for the communities we served. I didn't have the language to articulate that at the time because I never visited a career center in college, didn't really reach out to talk to folks about why this might be, and so decided to jump ship and found myself in commercial real estate when I was 28 years old, having left behind everything that was aligned with my value system because I was really looking for some more financial security for myself. Turns out it wasn't a good fit. And that is okay. I tried it and was actually there for almost four years before I said, you know, it's time for me to consider that perhaps my calling really is to work alongside individuals in their own development and plant those seeds as many as I can for people who are changing themselves so that they can then change the relationships, the communities and organizations that they find themselves in. So started back at 30 years old, applied for graduate school to get my master's degree in education and counseling at DePaul University. And truthfully, going through that master's program was probably the best therapy I ever had for myself. <laughs> and I can't recommend those types of programs enough. Was there for two and a half years, worked as a graduate assistant in the Student Leadership Institute, primarily serving undergraduate students at DePaul, doing a bit of career coaching, leadership coaching, self-awareness development. And after I graduated from DePaul, was hired at the University of Texas at Austin, where I spent a few years doing the same work again in our Leadership and Ethics Institute, working with undergraduate, graduate students, sometimes faculty and staff. But again, Chicago is my home. And I think I also resisted that for a really long time. So came back to Chicago with my partner, Ben, when I got the job at University of Chicago Booth School of Business. And I've been there since 2017, launched Encourage Coaching in 2018 because I wanted this type of development to be accessible to everyone, not just folks that attend elite business schools or public schools. And this is what I've been doing for the last four years. I love when people go on these journeys with their careers. I did the same. And it's amazing how you can link the things together, even though they're very different from each other. So you've spent a good deal of your career in higher education. What kind of advice would you give to a first-year undergraduate who's just starting out on this path of higher education? Absolutely. So I love this question because there are two things that I think at 18, 19, 20 years old, folks just aren't equipped to think about yet. And part of that is our brains aren't fully formed until we're 25. (laughs) But part of it is folks don't know everything that they have access to at a university or at the college that they're at. So the two big things that I would say for all undergraduate students, first, get curious get curious about yourself, get curious about the people in your residence hall or your apartment complex, get curious about your faculty and everything you see. Just approach it with curiosity and a suspension of judgment because we don't know all of the things that are available to us in terms of either career paths or organizational involvements, or we don't even know all of the things we might even like or enjoy yet. So get curious and suspend the judgment which would free you up to just try all of these things or introduce yourself to a new person who might be able to be helpful to you down the way. The second is get connected. And so yes, get connected to people, but also get connected to all of the services that the university has to offer. We know higher education tuition bills are skyrocketing and folks are consistently like, what is all of this that I'm paying for? And 
there's so much that people just aren't accessing simply because they don't know what's available to them. So I can almost guarantee every college or university is going to have academic support services, career support services, leadership development services, counseling, mental health services, wellness services that you can access. And if you can't find them easily, connect with someone that you know who's in student services and they can direct you to those resources. For me, it was one of the biggest mistakes that I think I made as an undergraduate was thinking I could figure it all out on my own. And the truth is, I didn't know enough to figure it all out on my own. And there's no shame in that. So get curious, get connected and be compassionate with yourself as you're going through these experiences that are going to be new, likely make you feel some discomfort. That discomfort's good. It means you're growing. Stick with it. And yeah, I think those are the two biggest things. Where was that advice when I went to undergrad? Like you, I had no idea how many different services were available at my undergraduate university. Even when I went to grad school immediately after, I still wasn't aware. It, it really is so important that students are really getting curious about that. I really like that phrase. I think that's good. So let's talk about graduate students. They yeah. are different than undergraduate students. What advice would you give to somebody who is either just embarking on their graduate school journey or even someone who's getting ready to wrap up their master's degree and considering next steps for themselves? Yeah. So the undergraduate experience and the graduate experience are different, yet we're all humans going through the same learning and development process. And so the two pieces I shared, so the get curious, get connected. That holds true for graduate students too. But I think even more so in the graduate student community, this big push about networking mm -hmm. that a lot of folks resist because it feels dirty or icky or transactional. And instead of thinking about it as networking, begin to think about it as building connections and building your community. Choose who you want to cultivate those relationships with. And sometimes it's your peers and colleagues in your classes. And sometimes it's the folks in student services or faculty members. I think one of the biggest differences, sense of self and confidence in self between an undergraduate and graduate student, you're going to really dig in as a graduate student to what you've realized you really want to learn about now. And again, it doesn't have to be permanent. So as you're going through your graduate experience, you may be introduced to new topics, new fields, new industries that pique your curiosity. Don't dismiss it because you're on a different track. There are ways now, especially as we've seen with the gig economy, to just... You can pull so many different things together to create the career that works for you. It doesn't have to be a path that's already in existence or been cut by somebody else. These days, one of the few benefits, in my opinion, of the gig economy is being able to put together that's fully in service of you and honors what brings you joy. So yeah, those are the two pieces. And I think for folks who are just starting out, again, getting connected, getting curious as they're either exploring graduate education or just about to embark on it. I know with COVID and the way universities are managing coursework and activities varies from place to place. So really making sure if you're making the decision about where to go, that you really enjoy the people you're having conversations with in the admission process, that it feels like a good fit, both with your value system and also with what brings you joy, not just at work, but in an environment as well. 
And for folks that are getting ready to leave, I would say posing those same questions to prospective employers. Is this a good fit in terms of the people I'll be surrounding myself with, the supervisor that I may have, or the folks that might be reporting up to me? And does this environment really allow me to thrive instead of just survive the day-to-day? I think I just read something somewhere that your first supervisor as a professional really has a big hand in how you become a professional yourself and the way that your career ends up going, especially if you continue in the same industry and a relatively same path. So that is excellent, excellent advice. I love that. I wish more people would consider that even if you're mid-career, that when you're interviewing It's not just about whether or not they find you to be the person that they want to hire, but do you want to be hired into that environment? It's such good advice. Both points, Stacey, the one about it's almost like your first boss imprints on you, right? Mm -hmm. This This is the way you need to do it. Recognizing if that doesn't feel like a good fit for you, you can kick it out. And again, cut your own way of leading or your own practice of leading that is better aligned with who you are and your authentic way of moving through the world. But I think, do I, can I share a story about personal interview experience? Yes. So when I was switching in industries, going from commercial real estate into higher education, one of the interviews that I had was at the University of Texas at Austin, and I ended up accepting that job. But I had this moment during the interview process where I was like, oh, I didn't like that very much. And what had happened was I was in a boardroom filled with... There were probably about 35 people in this boardroom, and it was standing room only. And as not a new professional, but a new professional to the field, I thought it was quite overwhelming. And Mm -hmm. I was just dripping sweat (laughs) under my suit, which thank goodness was navy blue. (laughs) And luckily it wasn't pouring down my face. But I was asked a question by a pretty important person in the dean's office who asked, you know, so how have you met and risen to the challenge of having to provide data to make a case for your programs and for why an office exists? And I started to provide my answer and was cut off. He's like, that's enough. And I just remember being so taken aback by being cut off in the middle of a response that wasn't even partially complete. And looking back now, I had that icky feeling and didn't trust it because we've been taught that feelings are not data. But I fully disagree. Once we can understand what that feeling is trying to tell us, it is a piece of data. I have just been disrespected And I worry I will continue to be disrespected at this institution. And that's actually exactly what unfolded during my 20 months that I stayed there before packing it up to go to University of Chicago. You're right. We are so dismissive of our own gut reactions and our own feelings that it can't possibly be what I think I'm feeling. So I must be wrong rather than certainly I am right about the way that this made me feel because I can't be wrong about the way that I feel. I would love for, especially for young women who are starting out in their careers to embrace that, understand that your feelings are trying to tell you something that can't really be quantified, but is still important for you to listen to. Yeah. Let's talk Encourage Coaching. I love this. This makes me so excited because I follow Encourage Coaching on social media and I love seeing the things that you're doing and the way that you're getting people involved. 
So what made you decide to start coaching? Was it, were you missing that one-on-one connection with people or was there something else? So it was a combination of factors. Having just finished up my master's degree in counseling, one of the things that was really preventing me from moving forward in terms of getting my licensure to provide therapy was this idea of being constrained by insurance companies. What kind of services can you provide? Does this person actually need your services? Are we going to reimburse them? How many sessions can you provide? And I'm like, I don't want those kind of constraints when I'm here to help folks navigate some really difficult things and start from a place of a deficit, which is a diagnosis of some problem that you have. And so that was a struggle for me to really decide, well, what am I going to do with this if that's so off-putting and and sits in such tension with what I'm trying to do? And so that's when I made the jump to coaching. So coaching isn't reimbursable by insurance yet, (laughs) something I hope that it can be one day for workplace wellness or other things. But while I was working at the University of Texas at Austin, working in the Leadership and Ethics Institute, one of the things that our team said we did was provide leadership coaching. And I was like, well, that's great. But none of us are actually certified to do that work. And given that we're the Leadership and Ethics Institute, it seems like someone should be certified (laughs) to provide coaching instead of just calling ourselves coaches. So I made the pitch to get my board certified coach credential through the Center for Credentialing and Education and went through the process to do that and just fell in love with so many of the pieces that are very similar to counseling in terms of, you know, standing alongside your client when they're going through a really difficult time, helping people to really see who they are and how other people experience them and not the ruminative stories and the negative stories that keep them from getting to where they want to go without necessarily having to diagnose a person with a mental health disorder just so they can receive services. And so, yeah, it's taking the best of of both the counseling world and the coaching world and kind of blending them together in a way that allows me to be of service to clients who are either trying to lead their small businesses or like me and you had never visited a career center and now they're 30 or 40. And I don't even enjoy what I do, but I don't know what else I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to do. Or people who are really tremendous experts in their field. So I work with a lot of women orthodontists who own their own practices and are tremendous at being orthodontists. They're like, I struggled to lead my team. Can you help me with that? And so really helping folks to recognize, one, I don't need to do this on my own, but if I'm going to pull other people into the process, how do I go about doing that? And I work as hard as I can to make sure the services that I offer are financially accessible to folks. And so I always put out like, here's the price point. If there's sticker shock, send me a budget that works for you because you deserve to have access to these services as well. And we will customize something that works for your budget. And I've never turned anyone down because it's the whole mission of the organization. And it's really great in that way. So let's talk about what COVID and 2020 has changed about the way that you're coaching people or the obstacles that they're presenting that are coming up The world is different now, and I'm not sure what that will look like when the vaccine is widely distributed and we are able to resume some semblance of what life looked like prior to 2020. Mm -hmm. What are you running into now? What kinds of things are people struggling with? 
Yeah. When COVID really took hold back in late February, March 2020, I had had four clients lined up to get started with coaching either for leadership or career or executive development. And all four folks were like, I need to hit the pause button. And so I've been actually thinking about this last year as the great pause because people really starting to reconsider not even reconsider, but reflect on who they are, reconsider how they spend their day and their time. People getting more worried about their finances because the economy, while we see the markets doing really well, we know the the actual economy of people who are working and worried for their jobs. Those financial concerns have also been at play in, in either the conversations that I have or folks asking to hit pause on engagements. And I think what most people are struggling with right now is the question of, how do I want to spend my life? We've just been stuck in the last 13 months of being stuck at home and stuck inside. And there isn't a whole lot to distract us anymore from the worries that we've had, the questions that we've been avoiding, those really tough ones about who we are and how we move through the world. And I think people are starting to come out of this last year really looking for support. And how do I figure out and how do I navigate what I do next in a way that also honors who I am and what I want outside of work? Those are the big things that I'm seeing right now. And even just giving people permission to say out loud, I hate my job and I don't know what else I can do. And that's so much of the work that I do with my career clients is let's figure out a way to triage how much you hate your work and make your day-to-day tolerable while we try and find that better fit for you or that new path for you. Because at minimum, at the end of an 8 to 12 hour day, my hope would be at minimum, it's net neutral, right? Not Mm -hmm. negatively impacting someone's life. But at best, it's not positive that this has given you energy so that you can go and spend the rest of the day doing the things that really bring you joy outside of your work. So for the people that have done that reflecting and realized, wow, I really hate my job, or Mm -hmm. I like my job, I don't like my boss, or whatever it is that is causing them to have these really negative feelings within themselves regarding their career path, are there some actionable things people can start doing to at least start moving forward? Because I think we can get really stuck in our own brains sometimes with just those feelings of, ugh. I hate this. I don't know what else to do. Or worse, I went to school for this. I spent money on this. So I kind of feel like I need to stay here. I've got a couple of friends who are attorneys who are struggling with that right now that I spent time and not an insignificant amount of money to become a lawyer. And I hate it. Where should they start when they're starting to really address those feelings that they're having? Yeah. So the first is when those feelings come up, Don't ignore them in the moment when they come up or if you're on a call with your boss or supervisor or a client and you can't address it in that moment as soon as you get off that call or out of that meeting, go back and figure out what are these feelings trying to tell you. You were frustrated or aggravated about something. Was it the person? Was it the task that you were working on? Is it the environment overall? Try and get really clear about what are those pieces that really just rub us the wrong way and shake us up to a point where we're no longer effective during the day. So it's like be a researcher, be a scientist on your own feelings. Again, 
they count their signals to us. And we just have to actually acknowledge that they exist and figure out what they mean for us. So that would be the first step. The second step, and I hope this doesn't come across as salesy because it's not meant to, but that's hard work to do by yourself, especially if you don't have the language for what's opposite of what you're looking for or even to qualify what it is that's not working. And so either starting out with a therapist or a coach to really start to gain clarity around what is it that is so troubling to me about this work or this work environment and start exploring the possibilities at minimum, imagining the possibilities for what else can be out there. I hope that was okay to say. That's great. You should. (laughs) It's good advice. So the last question I have is sort of the opposite of what we've just been talking about. 2020 and COVID turned everything upside down. It also gave us a chance to explore some things that maybe we wouldn't have done otherwise. Uh, Learn a new skill, maybe pursue a new hobby. I tried really hard to learn to bake bread, but apparently that's just not going to be the thing that's in my wheelhouse. So before we wrap up, Katie, what are you doing that's new and exciting? Or are you learning a new language or a new hobby that you're pursuing? Yeah. So there are three things that come to mind for me. One, this occurred to my partner, Ben, the other day we were driving home and I was telling him, I'm like, I'm going to be on the Envision Rise podcast and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And he's like, you know that one day COVID's going to end and you're going to get to go outside and be social again. Like we need to get you doing something other than your work. And for me, I've just fallen in love with my work for the first time in my career. And it's been a hard mind shift to do things that are not work-based. And so we started brainstorming together. And what we had come up with was one, to start gardening. We have this beautiful backyard for me trying to learn about flowers and which are the best to have in a place like Chicago and where do you plant them so they get the most sun or the least sun or really just starting to arrange flowers in vases. So they <laughs> and then also learning a new language. So Chicago has a very large Spanish speaking population. I would love to be able to have encourage coaching services be accessible to my folks who don't have English as their first language or don't really know it at all. And that's a barrier. So Ben and I are going to be learning some Spanish together because for him too, working in the culinary field and in food service, so many folks are Spanish speakers and we want to be able to engage and employ and serve as many folks as possible. I love that. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Katie. And how can people reach you at Encourage Coaching? Yes. So a couple ways you can visit the website, www.encouragecoaching.org, or you can send me an email, katie at encouragecoaching.org. We're also on social media. So if you just type us into Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook, you should be able to follow us there too. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. We wish you well. And that's it for Envision Rise podcast for this week. You can check us out on EnvisionRise.com. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, diversity and inclusion should not be treated as a one-off initiative. And so with your help, we can get this message to more people. Subscribe, rate, and review the show and be a part of making a difference because it starts with you.